everyone and welcome to another episode of Nomads. How how's your semester going, Connie? It's going. Don't know where, but it's going. <laughs> yeah, same here. But uh, anyways, today I'm super excited uh, as we are talking to a fellow Hyderabadi uh, whose name is uh, Dashni Shankar Narayan. She is a senior UX architect at Ashley Furnitures. And for people who don't know what Hyderabadi is, it's just like uh, people who stay in New York are called New Yorkers. People who stay in the southern metropolitan city of India are called Hyderabadis. We want to welcome you um, here to our podcast today, Darshini. Um, so she graduated from uh, University of Texas, Austin, majoring in information studies with a focus on UX design. And um, after we went through her website a lot, we noticed that she's worked on so many different industries and a lot of different projects as an HCI professional. So um, Darshini, welcome, first of all. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, on our fourth episode of Nomads. Um, so can you give us maybe like a little bit of insight and brief history of your work? Uh, hi, Sunny and Connie. Thank you so much for having me here. I must congratulate you on this initiative, especially during COVID. It surely will give a lot of information on user experience and the HCI or the human-computer interaction field. So you did give a brief snapshot of my UX career so far, and I would like you like to take you on my entire journey. Uh, I currently work as a UX, uh, senior UX architect at Ashley Furniture Industries. I work mainly on the e-commerce division. As a UX architect, my work encompasses a broad spectrum. It involves user research, strategy and planning, UX wireframing, user testing, and a little of user interface design. Uh, since the industry is e-commerce, it is a very challenging role because it is consistently evolving, but I must say that it is extremely rewarding because there is a direct impact to the end user who is the average consumer. Also, I get to quote-unquote research, browse other e-commerce sites all day, uh, guilt-free. So uh, before this, I worked at Ford Motor Company at the World Headquarters location at Dearborn, Michigan. I was a UX designer for the Systems Engineering Department and my there, work there was to enhance and make a complex engineering tool more usable and easy to use. Uh, it involved a lot of detailed understanding of what system engineers do uh, to make cars more safe and more efficient. Uh, prior to that, I'd interned at Samsung Austin Research Center while I was completing my master's degree at UT Austin. As a UX intern, my role at Samsung was to increase the efficiency of the ticketing system by making the knowledge base accessible to the CPU and GPU engineers. Majority of my work was to organize vast amounts of information, so basically a role of an information architect. And uh, that's a short recap of my UX career so far. I would like to ask, actually, since um, we often hear roles, especially like more junior positions, we hear like UX designer, UX researcher, sometimes like design strategist. But um, I don't know if at least I didn't know at first um, what a UX architect is. Can you maybe explain like what that means in your role? And also, I guess, like what's the difference between saying you're a UX researcher or an even a designer? Uh, sure. So a UX architect is... Uh like I mentioned, it's, it's a broad spectrum. Uh, it involves a little bit of everything that's uh, user-related and uh, product and business-related. So uh, I do some amount of user research, both qualitative and quantitative. So that involves a lot of A-B testing, 
um, some amount of uh, looking at heat maps, looking at data. So all uh, all these decisions would be data driven that we make on our website. Um, we also do some amount of remote usability testing, which means that there's an actual end user who is looking at the product and walking through it and you know mentioning um, their thoughts on this. So we collect all that data and we gain a lot of insight as to whether a certain tool or a widget is uh, performing like how we intended to perform. So that's some amount of work that we do. Then um, strategy and planning is another bit. So if there's a new uh, initiative, um, we sit and brainstorm along with the business teams and bring in the user aspect and the user's perspective. And so it's basically advocating for the user uh, and making sure that whatever we launch is uh, both user-friendly as well as uh, business-friendly. Um, and obviously, there's some amount of UX wireframing work that uh, that I do and um, a little bit of user interface work as well. So every day is slightly different. Uh, it just depends on the project that uh, is handed off to us. And I think that's what a UX architect is um, in a nutshell. But a UX designer, I think, would mainly focus on mostly producing wireframes and um, handing that off to the dev team. So that is the slight difference between um, a UX architect and a UX professional. So for all the listeners, there is clearly a difference between the titles as well as the responsibilities that come with them in the world of HCI. So these are not something that are just uh, created uh, to do the same job. And uh, since you are working as a UX architect now, let's go back to where you started, Darshini, uh, or how you got into the world of HCI. Uh, you graduated uh, as a Bachelor of Architect back, uh, you know, before you started in HCI. And then you took a detour through graphic design. Uh, you worked as a graphic designer for shortly. And then you came into the world of UX. So please tell us uh, your story, how you got started in the world of HCI. Sure. Um, so mine is certainly a very unique path. Uh, but starting from childhood, I always knew that I wanted to be in a creative field. Uh, but unfortunately, there are not many paths that one can take, uh, especially if you want to pursue a lucrative career that is creative. So uh, I decided to study uh, building architecture for my undergrad. Because I thought that it would, uh, it's somewhat creative. Um, it would definitely ser uh, serve my needs. Um, and I would say that it has given me a very solid foundation in terms of design. Um, and I was trained to design for a client. So empathizing or putting myself in the client's shoes was a skill that I developed fairly well. Uh, team collaboration was another skill that I learned. Uh, handing off the blueprints to the stru structural team. Uh, envisioning the client's ideas and making it more practical, uh, collaborating with other teams to bring it to life was something that I was also trained for. Uh, but however, in the practical world of architecture, uh, it was not all rosy. I felt that uh, the creative element was missing, and I understood this while I was interning at an architectural firm, which is a part of uh, the five-year um, bachelor a bachelor's degree in architecture. Uh, so my story goes like this. I was hoping to get a full-time position at the same firm, but uh, that didn't work out quite well. 
so i started exploring other options and by that i mean other creative options uh, i had done a few graphic designing projects uh, when i was studying undergrad and i enjoyed it thoroughly and this is the part where i decided to give graphic designing a shot uh, i was lucky enough to get a job as soon as i graduated uh, at an advertising agency and i worked there for about 2 years and that's when i decided to pursue a master's degree in architecture uh, sorry in uh, ux design that sounds amazing uh, was it difficult to make this career switch as uh, being a woman uh, like uh, was it hard for you uh, there is a saying in india there are two career paths that one can take engineering or medicine <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, you know jokes apart i was uh, privileged to grow up in a family that values education immensely everybody from my family uh, my parents my uncles my aunts uh, my cousins are all <laughs> post graduates and not everyone is an engineer or a doctor uh, and i also had a very uh, strong role model who was who was my mother uh, in my life and uh, that sort of encouraged me to and it didn't deter me from choosing uh, an alternative uh, career field but it is definitely different in india if you don't go with the con- conventional path uh, but i would say that things are changing immensely in india and people are exploring different career paths and are being successful uh, so if you want to be successful you have to love what you do and unless you take uh, calculated risks you'll never know whether you will succeed or not and i also think that it's very important to have backup plans it's also important to have a short term goal and a long term goal always that sounds amazing i totally agree and uh, it's great that uh, you grew up in a society where people encourage you to do what you love now uh, switching gears and uh, talking about uh, your projects you have worked in uh, uh, samsung you have worked at ford and currently you are working at ashley which is an e-commerce firm and uh, uh, while uh, we were going through your website i have noticed uh, you have given a ux talk about what you worked at samsung uh, it kind of looks like uh, you have uh, saved samsung from a lot of ux debt uh, by working on a user interface for confluence uh, and uh, you know improving its uh, user experience and saving money could you please talk about it um sure so i'll give you a little bit of background uh, i worked as a ux intern with the IT department at Samsung Austin Research Center and this is where uh, this is the place where they developed uh, where they develop microprocessors and uh, there are a lot of engineers mostly who work on CPU and GPU uh, units so i was brought on to with a broad problem statement sp- statement in mind and that is to uh, increase the efficiency of the ticketing system uh, and help the IT department and also to make use of the the existing knowledge base and another thing that i was the only ux person on the team and uh, was probably the only non engineer around so it was a totally uh, independently led project um so obviously that has a lot of pros and cons uh, the pros are that you get to uh, decide the timeline the flow of your project uh, and you have almost complete authority of the work that you're doing ux wise uh, and the cons are since you're the only person um, there's a lot of work pressure and uh, there're not too many people who would understand what you're doing you won't really gain too much advice um, ux wise 
is what I would say. So my role was uh, to be to do a little bit of user research. Uh, it was mainly solving an information problem. So I was the information architect there, and I also worked on um, creating a, a user interface. So the broad problem statement was, how do we make the ticketing system more efficient and encourage users to help themselves? So what I, uh, what I was noticing was that uh, the people who would submit the tickets to the IT department, uh, there was a lot of repetition in the type of requests, which means that uh, a lot of people were facing similar issues. So they were bringing up these issues and creating tickets. The end, that also meant that there was somebody from the IT department who was recording this, um, how they solved this problem and writing it and keeping it somewhere in a knowledge base. But the problem was that this knowledge base was not accessible uh, and easy to use because there was so much information available. And this led to a lot of inefficiencies in the whole process. So uh, my job was to reduce those in inefficiencies uh, so I would say the timeline was about four months. And uh, the process that I took was, uh, first thing that I did was try to understand the root cause of the problem. I spoke to a lot of people. I spoke to uh, people from the engineering department, from the IT team, just kind of to see what the flow of the problem was. Um, I created a user task flow based on the information that I got. And like I mentioned, I interviewed a lot of people. There were uh, formal sessions. There were some informal sessions. I did card sorting and tried to organize information in, in that way. Uh, I also created a journey map. Um, I did some research on uh, Confluence plugins. So Confluence is basically like uh, an intranet uh, where uh, people within that company can uh, access information. So it's sort of like a Wikipedia, but it's used internally. And Confluence has a lot of uh, plugins uh, that can customize the tool and make it better for your uh, industry and your company. So um, what I did was I presented these, uh, the problems and the recommendations to the managers. And one of the recommendation was to uh, buy a certain plugin to 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 make that job better and to organize information and i did receive approval from the managers to to buy this plugin but after i went back and looked at it uh, since it was since confluence is uh, uh, user based the plugins the cost of that particular plugin was over $10000 because of the number of users so to me, that didn't really make sense to, to spend so much money on something that I felt didn't deserve it. So I started doing some more research and, and tried to look into Confluence and see whether there was something that I could do internally. Uh, and, you know, after a lot of exploration, I created uh, an interface with whatever tools were available to me on Confluence and then uh, went ahead and did some amount of A-B testing. I evaluated the results and it was a perfectly well-functioning um, kind of makeshift solution that I had um, created with, with zero cost. So I had a talk on how I 
maximize the capabilities of um, Confluence plugins. I could think of something called Jugaad Engineering, uh, which is very famous uh, in India, wherein uh, you try to come up with very unique and uh, different kind of solutions to save money uh, for the companies you work for or for yourself. Uh, and uh, for anyone uh, who doesn't understand what UX debt is, uh, it uh, it arises. It is a set of problems uh, or user experience problems that arises uh, uh, because the companies go for fast and easy solutions instead of addressing all the user experience uh, problems. And uh, what are your thoughts on actually avoiding UX debt, uh, you know, for companies, Darshini? Uh, I think the first and foremost thing is investing in a UX team. That's the biggest and probably the best investment that a company can make because, you know, after you launch a particular product or a tool or a software, after at, at that point, you'll get to know a lot of issues that could have easily been solved if you had a UX team that had performed initial user research. Uh, because we are trained to think from the user's perspective and we are also trained to avoid these problems because there are certain things that we know would typically typically go wrong. So catching that initially and solving it at the beginning stages itself would immensely, immensely save the company huge amounts of money. And by investing in a UX team, I don't mean that one person does all these roles. You should have a proper a unicorn. Team. Yes. I don't think there's anything that... I don't think that works. Uh, I know a lot mm -hmm. of startups that uh, uh, look for a unicorn designer, which means that they should be able to do the coding work, the UX work, uh, research work. I don't think that's that's possible by one person because these roles are highly specialized and you need certain skills to be good at them. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that one person can fit the bill. They're just trying to save money. And in the in the process, I think they're just hurting themselves. So, yeah, I would say even if you're looking out to, to join a company, make sure that it, the company has a UX team and there are other people who have mm -hmm. specialized skills working. Uh, let's say, first of all, that's like very true. I think some companies out there, even big, even really big companies will often try to say that they're looking for a UX unicorn, right? Someone who um, famously is like kind of T-shaped, but very specialized in like multiple different areas. Um, I have a, I have a question, which is, let's say you're entering a domain space or a company that really doesn't have like a formal uh, UX structure. So for example, a lot of like social good um, companies or nonprofits, sometimes they could really benefit from having a UX researcher or someone in the UX field, whether that's for web design or for actually uncovering user needs and usability for whatever thing they're making. Um, so you talked about how when you were at Samsung, you were the only UXer <laughs> there, right? And so that can definitely be challenging, especially thinking about, you know, having to assert your expertise, right, in this area, like you understand usability, understand like psychology behind like usability and like design and like what makes things efficient. So um, do you have any advice for people who maybe like either junior or like even older, um, more experienced individuals entering a workspace where they may be only the only UX person there? Uh, I would definitely say that it is challenging, but mm -hmm. it is also a lot of pressure 
Yeah. <laughs> and you can take it both ways. Like I mentioned, the pros and cons of being the only person. You do have a lot of authority over the the way you want to structure your path. So if you're not, if you don't have anybody that you can discuss the UX problems with, I think uh, there are other resources that can help you. There's obviously LinkedIn, which are, which is a huge platform. You can probably discuss and gain some feedback from fellow uh, UX professionals from there. Uh, joining meetups, that's another way where you can network and uh, uh, discuss your problems and and gain some insight. Uh, online UX groups. Mm-hmm. I think there are tons of resources out there. Uh, and it's not like you need to follow each and every bit of advice that people give you. But I think it's very important to discuss the problem and the kind of work that you're doing to not just people from the UX field, but others in general as well. Because as you keep uh, you know, discussing your problems, you won't know where the next idea is going to come from. It might come come from somebody who is from a non non UX background as well, right? Mm-hmm. So, and or you, while as you keep discussing this problem, you sort of problem solve it yourself, and you might come up with a solution. So, I would say, you know, talk as much as you can, talk about the work that you do, even if it's at a like a social gathering or or uh, maybe somebody's party or get together or something of that sort. <laughs> yeah, just just talking about the kind of work that you do will help you also free your mind and um, untangle the knots that are there. Mm-hmm. It's like the engineer, it's like the UX version of the code, the coding rubber ducky, you know, the famous where um, programmers will talk to like an inanimate or mm-hmm. object Typically, they call the rubber ducky Mm -hmm. and just explain like why their code is not working. Exactly. (laughs) It's like our version of it. (laughs) That's good. And uh, just to add to that, you know, after after listening to your advice uh, uh, about hiring uh, a very large UX team, all the companies out there, please hire us. Uh, UX designers, UX researchers, (laughs) uh, information architects, uh, UX architects. So it's not just, uh, you know, one guy doing all this. So I have personally learned to, you know, do a a bit of front-end development. I have done a a bit of uh, UX design. Uh, So I'm basically a UX researcher who who got into everything because I had to over the past couple of years, uh, maybe without choice. Uh, So all the companies uh, expand your UX teams, I guess. Yes, hire more UX people. (laughs) It is definitely the future because especially after COVID, most of the things are going online. And if you are online, then you do have a big consumer base. And for that, there are end users out there. And for that, you need UX people to make it more user-friendly and usable. So, yes, please hire more UX people. (laughs) On to that as well, though. um, uh, In your experiences, you also mentioned working at Ford. Um, I don't remember if you had exactly said this, but... Did you work on a team at least at Ford? Was it like a slightly bigger team? Was it a sizable UX team? Yeah, so my work at Ford uh, was basically to help uh, system engineers to do their job better. Right. And uh, I wasn't working on the front end car UX or the user interface inside a car, although I would have loved to be on that team. But (laughs) there are separate uh, proper UX teams that work on that. I was indirectly helping um, um, the end products. Yes. So this was 
Like internal? Exactly. So this was internal. I was helping systems engineers do their jobs better. And uh, I was probably the only non-engineer in the whole team. And uh, there was another UX uh, person mm-hmm. with me. So it was just a team of two. But Slightly better. <laughs> yeah, slightly better. And he was, uh, he's an engineer. So he had, a, a, and he has been working for the company for a really long time. So he had a very good understanding of the engineering side and also the UX side. So mm-hmm. that way it made my job a little better. But um, my job there was mainly to solve complex problems. Um, so there was an engineering tool that they had just launched, which was a combination of five older tools combined into this one, uh, you know, unicorn mega, tool. that would, Mega tool. <laughs> yes, this one mega tool that would uh, perform all these functions. So it was very, very complex in that way. And uh, my job was to break it down into smaller bits uh, and make it more usable so that the system engineers would not find that it's very overwhelming and they didn't have to remember a lot of information and uh, so what I did was basically I chunked similar in similar information wherever I could together uh, I made sure that you had the ability to go back and make some edits uh, you could save or complete it at a later point in time so basically not overwhelming the system engineer with this vast amount of information that I that they had to fill in so yeah, that was basically my job. And since it was uh, not direct, directly consumer-facing, uh, you, I couldn't directly see the impacts that it had on um, uh, the end user because the end user was a systems engineer. I think especially, I don't know for anyone else, but like in academia and also um, I think maybe those courses you find online about UX and just in general, a lot of the talk is about like, oh, end users, right? Like the daily person on the street who is using like a mobile device will be interfacing this product. But I think a big chunk of the conversation that's missing is exactly the type of work you've been doing, right? Which is like internally, how do we help people make their like make their job easier for them right how do we actually help all these internal processes run smoothly because if the internal cogs of the machine are not working the output is also not going to be amazing right um and so um you mentioned like not being able to see exactly like oh what the end users or outcome is right um what do you think are some i guess unique challenges when working with Uh, Like when your end users are like your fellow employees, right? Like how do you find time to interview these people? Are there like certain things that people don't think about when they think about like comparing building something for end users like consumers versus employees in a company internally? Yeah, I think you've put it in a very nice way, Connie. Uh, Since I've worked in both fields, uh, I've so at, at, at Samsung and at Ford, my end user was the internal engineer and here at Ashley Furniture the end user is the average consumer right I was curious about that (laughs) so um, if your end user is internal I would say that obviously there are some pros and cons the pros are that your end user is right there you can just walk up to them and ask them questions you can interview them Um, but the cons are that you don't really have something to compare it with 
like right. a, a, a similar tool or a similar software that you can compare it with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be uh, something that might be a little challenging. Uh, the second thing that's challenging is since the user base is not really big, like for example, if the average consumer, like the user base is probably in millions, right? And, and, <laughs> and the impact point, yeah. you, yes. And the impact that you create, you make, like any small change you make would impact millions of people. So you have to be very, very careful with the kind of change that you make also. Mm-hmm. So you need to be very mindful of that. Uh, but if you're working for something that's internal, you get instant feedback immediately. And you know, people will walk up to you and say that they either liked it or they didn't like the change that you made. So that kind of feedback is obviously appreciated and you get a lot of it. And your work also gets recognized. Um, yeah. But both both the fields have, have um, you know, great rewards, I would say. But personally, if you ask me, I would like to design for the average consumer. Mm-hmm. Because you get to see your, you get to share your work with uh, a lot of family and friends and they can see it. Because if it's mostly internal and you're, you're designing for somebody who's internal, you might not have access. And obviously, they will also not have other people who not have access to the kind of work that you're doing. NDA as well. <laughs> yes, NDA. <laughs> Non-disclosure. <laughs> and also, being an engineer, uh, since you have worked with a lot of engineers and uh, people who think they are demigods because they build stuff, uh, do they actually value UX or uh, do they understand why it matters more than ever? Uh I would say things are changing and people are opening up and understanding the importance of UX because they have seen the benefits of it. So initially, I don't think UX and UX is also a fairly new field. Uh, Right now, I would say that I don't think there are too many courses that uh, follow or offer undergrad uh, courses in UX. I know that there are some that uh, are fairly good and established in at least a master's and the PhD level. Uh, so, and also because things are going online and everything's going digital, the importance of uh, UX design has definitely increased. And engineers are also seeing the benefits of uh, hiring somebody who is advocating for the user. All right. Sounds good. And uh, now coming to your work at Ashley, which is uh, more consumer facing or which is more uh, out with the average user that you wanted to do. Uh, so how's your day to day been with Ashley? And, uh, you know, what is the work you're doing currently? Uh, are you loving it? Yes. Uh, short answer is yes. <laughs> um, so like I mentioned, um, since I'm a UX architect, my work involves a lot of different things. And like I said, it it totally depends on the type of project that we receive. Um, Some of them are solely user research based. Uh, Some of them are user testing. So even in user testing, uh, we do a lot of A-B testing, which means we send out two versions of something that performs the same um, activity or, or function. And we test that out on the site. We see the type of uh, conversion rate that we get. Uh, For example, if version A is getting more conversions, which means that people are adding things to that cart and buying it, then we will go ahead and uh, implement version A in 
the main website. So that's a lot of uh, qu qualitative, uh, sorry, quantitative testing that we do. Uh, and in terms of qu qualitative testing, um, we look at a lot of heat maps. So there's a software in the back end that records the kind of activity that uh, users, uh, you know, go through on our website. So it generates heat maps and gives some data on how much people scroll, what people click on, uh, whether they're engaging or interacting with certain features and elements on the site. So we, we look at all that and we find out patterns and we draw a lot of insights. Uh, and one of the biggest insight is that people like things, and this is applicable to every industry. People want things to be easier. They will take the easiest route that is available to them. Um, they won't scroll too much. So, for example, if you want to uh, sell something and you want to highlight that, you have to make sure that it's somewhere on top of the page. It it is visible, and you don't have and you're not burying that under layers of information. You need to make things accessible, and uh, that's like, one of the biggest insights. Um, but other than that. Uh, we also do some some amount of remote usability testing. Uh, we send out a version to to end users, and they look at it, they talk through it, they share their thoughts, and we go back and we listen to these recorded sessions, and we gain insights and and you know we kind of put connect the dots and we put all these things together and um, uh, present some recommendations to the business side. Uh, most of it is making sure that whatever we design converts and and makes and and people add things to their cart. So that's something that's uh, that's very important in my field, especially because it's e-commerce. And um, obviously, yeah, this is a little bit of UX wireframing and some amount of uh, user interface design as well. So you are being the unicorn in this <laughs> But case. the UX unicorn. Uh, so there's a difference. <laughs> With that, um, kind of backpedaling to that uh, discussion we had very briefly about what the difference is, um, would you say then, if you're putting your hands in like all these different buckets, right? Because like when I think of architect, like one, I think coincidental, right? That you did architecture yeah. in your mm -hmm. undergrad. <laughs> Um, but the other thing is, like, what exactly is more broadly an architect, right? Like, I, I'm sure there's a much more, like, philosophical, really, like, like wise um, description of what an architect is. But when I think of an architect, I think of someone who builds a structure, right? Like, someone who implements a structure that people can then continue to use, essentially, right? So is it, do you also do, like, strategy as well as part of your role then? Because you're putting your hand in all these buckets, right? I'm thinking about these functions, that function, that one over there, this small thing needs a little bit of guidance, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah, that my my day-to-day -day work also involves a lot of strategy and planning as well. Uh, we basically mm -hmm. need to understand what problem the business team is trying to solve. And we need to take that and advocate from the user's perspective and see how they would interact with this and also make sure that the company is also profiting from the solutions and recommendations that we 
provide. So it's it's a lot of uh, I would say a balancing act between the business side and the user side, because if you had infinite amount of resources in terms of time and money, you can build anything out. And the user is obviously going to ask for every possible thing, right? <laughs> so, for yeah, sure. you need to strike that balance and you need to make sure that we have the back-end resources to develop whatever is being asked for. And you also have the kind of time. Mm-hmm. I think that's like what makes design interesting though, right? It's because at least the way um, I've been taught and the way that I see it is design is creating a solution within the context of constraints, mm-hmm. right? This is also a big thing in economics, right? Where everything, there is a constraint on everything. There's a limit to whatever you're working in, right? And that's what makes it interesting. It's what makes it challenging, but it's also, I think, what makes it rewarding to being able to solve something. And when you rise above constraints or you change the constraints, I think that says a lot about what design can do. Um, and kind of segueing kind of ungracefully into the next topic with that. Um, Also, interestingly, because you are working at Ashley Furniture and, you know, furniture is around us all the time, especially now that we're all stuck inside. Um, I am kind of like curious, like to hear about maybe your thoughts on now the pandemic, right? A lot of people are sheltering in place or in self-quarantine, being stuck in one place. I don't know if that's overlapped at all with like the work you've done at Ashley or if anything has like changed or maybe any perspectives you have as someone with an architectural background. Um, yes, of course, there has been a huge impact I think, mm-hmm. all over the world. Everybody. Are right people now, buying more furniture? <laughs> exactly. Yes, they are. Yeah. So <laughs> Makes sense. Really? Everyone is sitting at home and buying furniture because suddenly there, there was, there's been such a big shift. Everyone was going to work. And now suddenly the whole world has to just sit at home and perform their duties, you know, in, in the confined, I mean, and they're confined to their room mm-hmm. or their house. So, yes, business-wise, definitely e-commerce is doing really well. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I'm amazed at how people have suddenly adapted to this new normal. Um they're, they're able to perform mm-hmm. whatever they used to do at, at the in the office at home. So, I mean, for, obviously I'm talking about people who can do that. There are a lot, unfortunately, right. there are a lot of people who cannot and they have to be on site uh, to perform their work. Yes. Shout out to everyone at hospitals, food service workers, delivery people. You guys are all doing good work for yes, everyone and at home. Saving lives. <laughs> Thank you so much. And saving lives, yes, yes. Thank you so much. Yes. COVID warriors. Yep. All the frontline workers. Uh, so that way, I think if you ask me personally, I don't think I ever saw myself working from home remotely and I, I never thought I would enjoy it. But <laughs> there's, yes. But I do. I mean, I love working from home. Uh, it you know the commute time there's zero commute time you don't have to get ready mm-hmm. you know you don't have to plan things in advance like your meals and your day things like that um so for me i don't think i'm complaining too much i love how it is um so definitely i did see that there's a lot of free time that i gain 
and I'm being more productive since there's no commute and there's no added uh, layer of planning uh, my day. So uh, with that, uh, we, we've seen this on social media that everybody is baking and, and trying out <laughs> Banana hobbies. bread? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've been experimenting as well uh, with cooking. And the only thing is not being able to travel. I think that's uh, one constraint that I've been uh, facing. But other than that, I think it's going fairly well. And it is good that people are staying at home and doing their part and being responsible. Yeah, I totally agree with uh, Darshini. Even I've been more productive, you know, ever than my entire life since COVID, you know, since getting stuck in the apartment was what it took for me to, you know, do work. Maybe I'm also doing some cooking, learning, uh, you know, some recipes and even starting this podcast as a matter of fact. I guess. Yeah, that's the biggest example. See, people are exploring a lot of hobbies that they thought they didn't have time and they're doing that. So there is some positive news as well. Yeah, I think it's good too because there is a lot of negativity around um, mm-hmm. being stuck at home. And, and this is also just for like, I guess this conversation is for people who like can feel safe being at home, first of all, right? Um, people who are able to be at home and it's not like horrible horrible to be at home because mm-hmm. i think being stuck at home definitely has it's like you're stuck in one place like people are influenced by their environment um, wherever they work or wherever they are but i do think it's like been a good time for a lot of people who maybe have lived life very fast like have lived everything like on the road always traveling because commute does take a lot there's a lot of fatigue when it comes to like going in and out of the office i know some people are spending more time with their families so here's a shout out to moving a little more slowly in this time and you know taking the day by day and being able to then do more things with your time which is nice you know take a break (laughs) totally agree and it also makes us rethink whether we actually need a physical office space because Mm. from what i noticed i did I, I have seen a lot of collaboration within my team itself. We're, we're talking much more. Uh, and also we're, ta- we're being very honest. Uh, we're giving each other a lot of uh, feedback. So as ironic as it sounds, there has been a lot of collaboration, uh, at least work-wise. And I guess shout out to HCI and uh, all the people working in the field of design uh, who are making it easy for us to collaborate uh, virtually. Uh, We are even doing usability testing. We are doing a lot of stuff remotely, uh, you know, since COVID. So I guess necessity is mother of invention, as people say. Uh, So people are inventing a lot of good stuff. Mm -hmm. So one thing we do um, for every episode is kind of like how nomads leave behind. Perhaps they leave behind like traces of where they've been. Um... I guess, like, what is one piece of advice, wisdom, or a quote, or whatever that you would want to leave um, our podcast listeners with today? And also, maybe your secret to success as well, I guess. I can share some skills that uh, are needed to be a good UX professional. Uh, I would say the first thing is soft skills, being comfortable with interviewing people, uh, talking to them. Asking very neutral and non-biasing questions, I think this comes with a lot of practice. Uh, Having a pleasing personality, uh, having an open mind and willing to get let go of ideas. So this is something that I noticed uh, that a lot of people, especially in the design field, you're married to one idea or certain ideas. 
and it's very difficult to let go of them because you invested so much time and your effort into putting it in that in your like in your premise so i would say that you need to have an open mind and you should be willing to let go uh if your theories don't support the research then you definitely need to have that mindset to let go of that idea and work towards solving the problem and i think that's a very important skill to have uh, the second thing is general curiosity being curious about human behavior uh, being sensitive to culture understanding that we, there are different people from different cultures and in different societies uh learning and seeking knowledge and just that willingness to learn and being curious is also very important um the third thing is understanding users needs uh like i mentioned you need to be uh, an advocate for the user but you also need to see from the business side whether it's feasible uh, you need to strike the right balance between the two uh the fourth thing is good collaboration skills see in, in if you're in the ux field most likely you're not working uh, in a silo you will be collaborating with different teams and i think uh, the best thing is a good success mantra is to have good communication skills uh to make sure that you've set expectations at the beginning itself and just so that you avoid a lot of miscommunication at a later stage so it's always better to clarify things at the beginning before you start off and keep checking in with your managers and with your team and show your progress and and don't show it at the at a later point towards the end because if there's something that's different or something that's wrong you'll have to redo your entire work so make sure that you collaborate with different teams and keep sharing your work just so that you avoid a lot of redundancy uh the next skill i would say is the willingness to work hard to improve your ux knowledge uh there are a lot of ux resources out there linkedin is a great platform medium is another great platform uh you have to keep abreast of what's going on what are the trends and uh just that willingness to improve your knowledge all the time uh another great skill i would say is networking uh especially now since uh it's a pandemic and unfortunately there've been a lot of layoffs uh, making sure that you have a good network both online as well as offline and making sure that you have good relations with uh, your past employers that is also very important so linkedin meetups online ux groups are great ways to build your network and last but not the least i would say software skills so there are tons of software out there for wireframing there's axure there's adobe xd the sketch but these are all enablers to help you get to the next step it's not the only thing that is required to be a ux uh, person and these softwares you know one thing one software might be there today and then it'll become obsolete tomorrow so you know that's not the only thing and software can be learned it's it's, it's an easy skill uh, you just if you probably learn one you will most likely be able to handle the others so that's not the ultimate goal the ultimate goal is to learn how to problem solve and to advocate for the user and also take in the business needs so this is how i would uh 
put everything else everything in a nutshell all the nomads out there this is some wonderful advice by darshini uh, who want to get into the world of hci and ux uh, and uh, darshini uh, you have had a very diverse uh, life you have had a very unique life when compared to me i did something very simple i did engineering uh, i i chose what uh, people told me to do i did what people told me to do uh, so how do you see yourself as a nomad uh aren't we all nomads yes we are <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah so everybody has a unique journey and a unique story uh definitely explore other career paths if you're i mean i'm not saying that engineering is the only way or medicine is the only way i mean if you have the ability to or the interest i would obviously encourage you to do that but there are other career options out there and they are lucrative uh you can make money out of them by not compromising on the skill set and the passion that you have so unless you try something out you will never know so i would say take calculated risks but always have a backup option in mind so that that's going to be my advice that was some amazing advice and uh it was great talking to you darshini and uh, knowing your story uh starting from back in hyderabad to now working at Ash- ashley furnitures yeah it was great having you here with us today on this uh whatever day we're recording it um so thank you so much for your time today um that's all we had for uh this episode so we'll have links in the description below with darshini's linkedin and portfolio if you want to connect with her um but yeah That's all we have for today. So tune in every Friday um at 5:30 p.m. uh Pacific time and 8:30 p.m. Eastern time for our next episode and thank you all so much. Thank you Sunny and Connie. This is Sunny. This is Connie. <laughs> Signing off for now. Bye.